waiting for it. He'll come away with it. Special top across for Slavin. Slavin to Pesci. Pesci wrists one right on Saros. Conflicted by Saros. Now, welcome, Steve Bennett here, the Sportscasters Podcast. It is late on May 26th into May 27th in Buffalo, New York. I want to wish a happy birthday, a happy 30th birthday to my brother Anthony. He's out in Phoenix, Arizona right now with Kenny Agostino doing whatever two Yale grads do. Well, one Yale grad and an almost Yale grad do when uh, they get together in a house they probably are paying way too much money for under the uh, under the guise of golfing. But happy birthday to my brother. It is season 11, episode number nine of the Sportscasters, and I want to welcome anyone who's maybe listening to their first episode, uh, anyone new who's here off the heels of the incredible profile that John Wertheim did about me for Sports Illustrated and I will tell that whole story in one last thing but if you're new here welcome I appreciate you I really do I think if you talk to anyone who's listened for any amount of time I don't take anyone who listens to this show for granted and if you reach out to me in any capacity uh, I'll be sure to be back back to you Uh, and I take that very seriously so I appreciate anyone who's listening uh, welcome to the show. Uh, it's a great one today. We have a Buffalo sports legend, Buffalo sports broadcasting legend, uh, the great Pete Weber, who grew up in the Midwest, I believe, went to Notre Dame, uh, and he's called games for the Los Angeles Kings. When I was growing up, he was a part of the Buffalo Sabres, the Buffalo Bisons broadcasts. Uh, he called game seven of the... 97 Sabres and Senators series, maybe his most famous Sabres call. I know we mostly hear RJs, but he has one too. I've played it before on this show. If you want to check out the archives when he was on last, I definitely played it. But um, Pete Weber is going to join us. He's currently the play-by-play guy for the Nashville Predators radio broadcast. So we're going to talk to Pete. He's called 20 periods. So far in the NHL playoffs, and they've only played five games. Two double overtimes and a single overtime. So we're talk to Pete about broadcasting, see what he thinks about Major League Baseball being in Buffalo, as he was a longtime Bisons announcer, right around the time when the team was pushing to get Major League Baseball. So he'll be on the show today. Also on the show, Mike Shope, who does midday drive radio in Buffalo. His show, Shopin' the Bulldog, has been a, a show on the radio here for a long time. I mean, they've done 
probably almost the whole century. You know, I don't know exactly when it started, but early 2000s. Uh, and uh, Mike is going to be on to talk about some of the stuff that's been going on here. We do some Saber stuff. I want to find out how the Bills being good has changed his show, if it has. I don't know. Uh, I want to talk to him about baseball a little bit, see what he thinks about Major League Baseball being here. In case you don't know, because you're not here, haven't heard this, the Toronto Blue Jays are going to start playing their home games here in a bit. And it's going to be the first time that fans have had a chance to see Major League Baseball in Buffalo in 110 years. Now, the Blue Jays were here last year, but fans couldn't go. Uh, So this year, there will be fans in the stands at a Major League Baseball game in Buffalo for the first time in over a century. So that's pretty cool. People are looking forward to that. Uh, We'll also do the book club on the show, of course. And one last thing I said, I'll tell the story of the the Sports Illustrated article. I want to get the uh, Sports Media Minute in real quick. Uh, I won't go that long on it. I think I did five last time. I'm just going to do one tonight. And it's a tweet I read from Michael Mulvihill. Mulvihill? Mulvihill? Michael? Uh, He says, viewership growth of major sporting events since April 1st compared to 2019 pre-pandemic numbers. So we all know that sports were in a huge rating slump last year. And especially the sports that were out of season did terribly. You know, anything that aired when it shouldn't have, like the November Masters or, you know, the late Triple Crown races or the Stanley Cup and NBA playoffs in October, all that did terrible. Uh, But we're seeing a spike here. So he's comparing sports since April 1st this year to the 2019 numbers that they were getting, so pre-pandemic. The PGA Championship, which did a huge number, They had Phil Mickelson with one of the great stories in the history of sports uh, in the final group on Sunday. I'm sure that was a huge part, up 31%. Uh, The Preakness uh, coming in after controversy at the Kentucky Derby, up 29%. Uh, The PGA Golf Championship, the total, so the first number was just for Sunday. The total, that tournament was up 23%. The NHL playoffs are up 16%. The NFL draft first round up 11%. Uh, Fox Saturday Major League Baseball up 10%. Uh, ESPN Baseball Sunday night up 8%. And NBA playoffs up 4%, which is good news for them, I'm sure. I read an article today from John Orland, and I'll try to find it, saying that the local broadcasts for for the NHL is up and told a good story. The local broadcast for the NBA way down. Uh, So a lot of things down when it comes to ratings in the NBA. But we all know that that has nothing to do, nothing to do with politics, okay? Nothing at all. So just want to make that clear. Just want to make that clear. It has not happened. It's not because of that. Every other factor, but definitely not that. Okay? So I want to make sure you understand that. All right. That's it for that tonight. I'm excited. I want to get... Here's the thing. I want to. I got two good interviews I want you to hear. And I'll do the book club. And honestly, I just really want to tell this story. I've been holding on to this. I've dropped some hints here and there. Uh, certainly at times I didn't think it was going to happen. Uh, but I want to tell everyone the story of this article. 
And also, I want to thank everyone who reached out to me. If you're listening and you read, first of all, if you read the article, thank you so much for taking the time to hear my story. And if you if you reached out um, and congratulated me, that it meant so much to me, those couple of days to just hear from so many people. So thank you. All right, but this is the plan. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Pete Weber. And then I'll be back with the book club update, uh, then the Mike Shope interview, and then we'll finish this out with some plugs and one last thing. All right, let's do it. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with Pete Weber. Our first guest tonight is a graduate of Notre Dame, and he's a Buffalo sports broadcasting legend whose name belongs next to Miller and Darling and Jennerette. He's the voice of the Bisons, the Sabres, the Kings. Now he's in Nashville. They're lucky to have him calling Nashville Predators games on radio. It's an honor to have him here today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the great Pete Weber. Mr. Pete Weber, how are you doing today, sir? It's su- such a pleasure to have you back on the Sportscasters. How are you? Well, Steve, thank you very much for having me on. I, I can't believe it has been so long since last we visited. That, that's kind of amazing to me. I know, way too long. Uh, but I've been thinking about you the last couple of days because, man, <laughs> this series, it's like double overtime, double overtime, another overtime. And I know the first game I tweeted after I, as soon as the game ended the first thing i thought is i want to hear pete's call on that and i was searching for it never found it then the next game double overtime again and i did find your call um because you posted it uh but has it been fun i mean look at here in buffalo oh, yeah. thank god you're not here because there hasn't been a playoff game for poor rick to call in a billion years but um man it's had to have been fun this week too to, to the the predators maybe the biggest underdog of round one um, really a great showing so far and, and some really great games. It has been. And to answer the question about has it been fun, it has been absolutely exhilarating. Yeah. Because you come into this series and, you know, nobody gave the Predators a chance whatsoever. Nope. And yet, when I think about uh, the first game of the series, that was one where the Predators did seem overmatched. Then the second game, it was one goal for 59 minutes. Uh, then come home and play the two uh, multiple overtime games. In a way, I kind of felt cheated last night, only getting a, right. a single overtime. Right. Two, minutes, two and three minutes seconds yeah. of that. Yeah. <laughs> so that that seemed a little bit strange. And obvi- that's where, I guess that's where the, uh, the whole description of sudden death comes in, in a game like that. So now... Game number six in Nashville on Thursday night, and it's for to maintain your lives. Kind of reminds me a little bit of doing the Sabres in that series with Ottawa in 1997, right. where they Great were series. down. And yeah. Steve Shields, Steve Shields comes yeah. up with a shutout in game six, and Derek Plant scores the winner in game seven. Yeah, and I was there for game seven, a great night at the arena. Let me ask you this. The way the perception was coming into the series and then the way game one played out, what do you think it has been yeah. for the Predators? How, what did they unlock or what did they figure out to not only climb back into the series, but, you know, be 
turn it into a three-game series. You know, they got to the point where, man, it's not even yeah. a best of seven. They got a best of three going here now. What did they? What changed, or what did they? Were they just underrated from the start? What do you, What do you think they unlocked here? Well, I think that the coach was finally able to sell to everybody on the roster the idea of how important the work ethic is. Everybody, there could be no passengers. And because of that, they have played fairly evenly with, I think, the team. Well, now, keep in mind, we only see one division on a regular basis and right. don't have much time with yep. a compressed schedule to watch the others. But Carolina was the best team I saw all year long. And for a team that just got into the playoffs in the last weekend of this shortened season, to uh, play evenly with them, I think, has been amazing. But it, all the, it was a team that made the playoffs by, in their last 28 games of the 56-game schedule, winning 20 games and losing just seven in regulation. So that was uh, a result of the role players sort of carrying the load and then the other team members said, whoa, this is working. Let's see what we can do. And obviously, on at the back end of it all, has to be the play of goaltender UC Saros, who has just been nothing short of fantastic. Sure, sure. You know, it's interesting because when I think about the playoffs the last bunch of years, one thing that's emerged is the the Nashville market and how great the rink has been, you know, for the playoffs. And I think of the yellow towels and, you know, Smashville and all that. <laughs> How good has it been this year, these last couple of games, to have the fans back and to get the atmosphere that's that Smashville thing back? Do you think that was part of a part of it? Like, do you think the team just like, like, wow, look at this is back for us? You know, these the people are here. Do you think yeah. that, you know that that had to be an emotional just lift? It was for me as a viewer, as a fan, you know, just to lift yes. to see the yellow and and to have Smashville back, you know. Well, Steve, let me ask you, how loud do the fans sound? They sound loud. They sound the loud. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, it sounds so the pre-pandemic, had, you know? Yeah, I know I know it's not, I but it, it feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. I take a, a DB meter with me for playoff games. And the loudest I have had was the Chicago playoff series in 2017 where the Predators swept them. Yep. Uh, and, and this was a similar situation going into the playoffs. The last team to make it then sweep the Blackhawks in four. And the Blackhawks have sort of stumbled ever since then. But I had as high as 120 dB. Wow. Upstairs where I sit. I, I know it's louder downstairs in the lower bowl. But that is the equivalent of a jet engine taking off in your driveway. So, uh, with the 12,000 people, the first two games of this series, and they say that game six, they're going to admit uh, another 2,000 fans. I wonder if my ears will survive, but I'm just looking forward to it. Yeah, and that, that was the start of a great run. You know, they beat Chicago, then St. Louis and Anaheim, you know, and then took Pittsburgh to six yeah. games. Yeah, so the start of a great run there. You know, who knows what this run will bring, but it's been just so great. You know, it's crazy as a viewer, it's almost sad in a way when there's the, when there's a Canadian game on and then there's another game yeah. on and you, you see the, like last night, the Toronto Montreal game was on and then the Nashville Carolina game was yes. on. I can't even watch the Toronto game. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's, it just brings me back to a place. I don't want to be, you know what I mean? It's just like, I'm out. I'm going <laughs> to the other one, 
You know what I mean? I can't even view it, really. I, I'll admit I got into yeah. the triple overtime game the other night, but that's like all I've watched from Canada so far. Oh, yes, that game. I mean, that, yeah. and you know what the setup is. <clears throat> I got to tell you this. In 2016, the Predators had an 8 o'clock start, 8 o'clock central time start against San Jose. And that game went triple overtime. Mike Fisher wins it to tie the series at two games each. Yep. And that game ended at almost precisely the same time in the morning as did the Winnipeg-Edmonton game (laughs) to uh, close out that series. Uh, So uh, are we saying, and I'm not saying I can guarantee this, but I I think the later starts tend to be the ones that end up in overtime, though. Yeah, and out, know, out on the East Coast, we're like, are we? Game. Yeah, then out on the East Coast, oh, yeah. we're walking like zombies for two days, you know what I mean, from them. Um, right. Yeah. 2016, that was where they lost in 7-2 to San Jose, correct? Is that what happened that year? Right, and yeah, that okay. turned out to be the last the last series Shea Weber was with the Predators. It was June of that year where they made the deal for P.K. Subban. Right. Yeah, that was the year there was those – that summer there was a couple trades where they came across and you're like, wow, didn't see that one coming, you know? Um, yeah, it was like in about a 30, 35-minute span. Right. What was the other one? Seth Jones? Was so, uh, it Seth Jones? Uh, trying to think. No, he was He was, he, he was a January trade. Okay. Um, trying to think. I'll look it up for us. Yeah, I'll look it up for us. And us. I think there were free agent signings, yeah. yeah. Free agent signings, as I recall. Yeah, crazy. I remember that. A crazy just day in sports. What about Shea Weber being gone? Like, now that there's some time apart from you think it was the right move for the organization, a mistake? Any thoughts on it? Now that the benefit of time has kind of crept in, I'm sure at the moment yeah. it felt like, hey, Subban's a great player, but, I mean, Shea Weber, that's the, that's the guy you think of when you see the logo, you know? It was devastating to me, and not just because of the same last name. There is no... Uh, blood relationship there. But uh, I was always, Shay and I were always, we were conferring. He wanted me to help him with his fantasy baseball tapes. He's a huge baseball fan. And uh, you're right about him being the symbol of the team for so long and sort of in concert with Pecorino, who is still here. And, and I'm, I can't say anything wrong here about PKPK. And the team did make the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, and he was and PK awesome. Wasn't fully he- yeah, he wasn't fully healthy until about January of that season. Right, and then he uh, took off. You might recall, it, he was carried off the ice in his last Canadiens game on a stretcher in right. the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So it took a while for him to bounce back and come to full health. Uh, so, I mean, Shea Weber and Ryan Suter, right? They were the Batman and Robin on defense. And then in 2012... That was when Ryan Suter was uh, given this offer he couldn't turn down from Minnesota Wild. And when Shea Weber's offer sheet from the Philadelphia Flyers, the Predators had to match it. But let's go back to that matching that offer sheet. It was so uh, financially difficult for the Predators to do that. They actually, in taking on P.K. Subban's contract, and that's great trade, they saved money on the deal and gave them the chance to do some other sort of investments. So it, it, that was pretty much a salary cap type move, like many of the Blackhawks had to make uh, in the span of their winning three cups in six years. Right. Yeah, because that that you know I think they won the first one, then they made the sod trade. You know, like they always were kind of the yeah. team was in flux a little bit more than you'd think to make that Justin work. Justin Bufflin. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, what about um, we we just came out of this thing that we've all been dealing with for so long. Uh, how did yeah. it how did it affect your your job? You know, like how 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 is did did you get to a point there where you were just kind of feeling the down with the empty empty rink games and stuff? Like, do you feel reinvigorated in any way by these the fans being in the stands? Like, how did how did it affect you personally to uh, to do a what you do time, in a way? A, yeah, a big time reinvigoration. Now the thing that we're, this pandemic, COVID nineteen. That we're dealing with now, we're in a situation where we are really isolated from the team members themselves. We can talk to them on Zoom and so on. So the little things you can pick up by doing that, and obviously we are not traveling. No local broadcasters are. So I'm doing games off a television monitor, as I did in game number five uh, from Raleigh, doing it in our empty rink in Nashville. And let me tell you, when you're in an empty rink in your regular broadcast position, it gets cold. I mean cold. So you have to dress for the road games like you're going to be doing a winter classic, right? Right. And uh, that that is a little <laughs> different to get used to. And the other thing, we are also wholly dependent upon the television director at the game site to give us a good look at the ice. And sometimes some directors love to linger on close-up shots of players' faces or fans' faces. That doesn't help me describe right. where the puck is and who has it. I really, that makes it very difficult. I really noticed a pro like um, Doc Emmerich struggling in the final last year. You know, with things like um, yeah. delayed penalties. You know, you don't if it, if the backside ref is the one calling the penalty. You know, then yes. and the other guy doesn't have his arm up. You might not know that there even is a delayed penalty. You know what I mean? And Correct. That and you can't really see difficult. when the net is empty all the time. Right. That's another thing. Why? And even, like, why are there six guys on the ice? You know, like, yeah, I could I could see it being extremely difficult. And it's too bad even to this point, especially for the playoffs. You know, I hope as it goes on maybe deeper, there'll start to be a little bit more flexibility. Maybe there won't be. I don't know. But hopefully at least by next season. This doesn't become a way to like yeah. save money. That everyone, the, 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 there's enough of a drop in quality that we need our announcers in the buildings. You know what I mean? We need that for sure. Uh, I hope so. I'm rooting for that, but I do think that there are uh, some there's some sentiment to save the money that you can because right. uh, I can see it for the most part. There is nothing saved in terms of the air travel, but for hotels meals, etc. That adds up, and I think it probably adds up very quickly. The other trade that day was Taylor Hall to the Oilers for Adam Larson. So There we go. That there, was and then there was a free agent signing as well. Yeah, because it's right. It's probably the... Um, oh, uh, no, it was Stamkos re-signing. Stamkos re-signing with the Lightning. Right, did it, it didn't decide to move. Yep, because July 1st, right. usually it opens, so they got it done right before the the deadline. Those trades were on June 29, 2016. Um, yes, sir. And yeah. I was shocked. I, I I think my jaw is still on the floor of the living room. <laughs> I bet. I was shocked. And I'm not as close to it as yeah. you are. You know, there's something I want to ask you about. It's a little bit of a digression. But what are your thoughts on Major League Baseball being in Buffalo? You were such a big part of uh, baseball here when you were here. And, you know, I know you remember those days in the 80s when we were – 
getting considered for expansion and you know the oh yeah ballpark was just open and they're drawing a million fans a year and how great it was then and you know i know they were here last year but those games could have been anywhere you know what I, you know what i mean this Correct. year this year the people were going to be at those games you know and i just wonder what you i plan to be i plan to be at a couple oh wow that's great i can't wait for you to be there you just because I, I know tears will hit my eyes when they do yeah but tell me about it it's yeah. something i'm very much looking forward to i mean all the effort all the uh emotion that went in <clears throat> to that battle to get considered at the top of the list of the expansion i can still see going into the national league expansion committee's tour of then pilot field and sitting down in the home clubhouse and there is National League President Bill White, who was a hero to me as a kid growing up a St. Louis Cardinals fan. There was Douglas Danforth of the Pirates, chairman of the committee, and who, oddly enough, uh, through friendships in St. Louis, because that's where he lives, I have been together with him at a couple of St. Louis Cardinals games over the years. Uh, but that was, oh, the, the emotion, the intensity, and how everyone wanted to put on, and there was no need to put on a great face because... I thought it was a perfect situation. Uh, Denver, which has turned out to be a pretty good franchise in the National League, was fine. Right, but and the, the Marlins. Man, the, the, the Marlins? Yeah. That's another story. We could have done another better. Story. I, I always was, feel like. The Buffalo Pride. Tampa Bay. Yeah. Yep. I yeah. know. The Rays. Really, when I thought about it, I thought the best place in Florida for a Major League Baseball team would truly be in Orlando. And uh, I might still be proven right there eventually. Right. But uh, and now I'm in now I'm in a city in Nashville, which has put this Nashville Stars organization together and had working for them for a while, Dave Dombrowski, Tony Larusa, and others to try to get the, a franchise here. Uh, Smokey Stewart, Dave Stewart, is still working with the Nashville Stars, and uh, they I think have a legitimate shot. And it might even not be an expansion team. It yeah, might be Oakland. a relocation. Yeah, if Oakland moves, yeah, I got to think it's Nashville or Vegas, right? Yes. Those are the first yes, two that come Vegas to mind. Get anyway. everybody out of Oakland? <laughs> right. It's like yeah. Vegas is just going to steal all of Oakland's <laughs> yeah. team. How yeah. come the Warriors didn't go there? Yeah, next, Marshawn Lynch is going to be living there next Next thing we know, right? Uh, yeah, that's, yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, I didn't even think so of that. So that all get so, Steve, to, t- to get to the bottom line of your question. Yeah. Those feelings all have come just pouring in on me right. with what's going in on right here, right now. And I, I've even gone back to the expansion documents that were being filed in the late 80s and the early 90s. And I have a copy here someplace of what Bob Suedo's put together when they were trying to get the teams in the 60s. Yeah, you'll have to let me know when you're in town. I'd love to just be able to see you at the ballpark on one of those nights. I was just talking about Orlando Merced. <laughs> for some reason, I was, yeah. ta- was talking about that little painted spot behind the right field. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was talking about just remembering when they played the Braves in the NLCS, and I was into the Braves then because they were a team you could follow every day here. You know, they were one of the few teams that yeah. you could watch every day before the regional sports networks, of course, with them being on TBS. But whenever Merced right. came up, I was like, yeah, I want the Braves to win, but man, this guy was a bison. I want him to hit a homer. You know, like that kind of like yes. That kind of feeling. You were you were the one who you called the eighteen inning game right here. And what year was yes. that? What, what do you remember? I that remember was, that, that night. My that dad and grandpa were there. 
1990. Yeah, my dad and grandpa were there. And I was waiting for him to come I home. I have a recording of that whole game. I listened to it. I listened to every word you said that night. So my dad and grandfather were there, and I was just waiting all night. And then when we lost, I waited up for him to come home. You know, like, but that, to me, that's like peak Bison's. I was the right age, you know, and everything. What do you remember yeah. about that night? I spoke. Well, I, I just remember, number one, we were coming home off a nine-game road trip. And when we went on that trip, thought, you know, really going to have to kick it and going into areas like Indianapolis and uh, Toledo and Columbus uh, in the days of the uh, AAA alliance where there was the overlapping schedule between the IL and the American Association. And then going into that last day of the regular season, had the Bisons been able to hold on in Indianapolis, there wouldn't have been a necessity for that playoffs. But the Indians came back, and uh, Nashville won in Louisville. We were on, on WGR then. We were going back and forth and carrying like the, the sounds broadcast when we were off the air to help people stay alert to what was going on. Uh, and, and then we fly back home. We have no idea how many people will show up simply because it was an unscheduled game. And right. here it was. Short notice. was back in session. Yep. Yeah, by that time. And, and lo and behold, 16,000-plus seats were sold that couldn't go on sale until the morning of the game. That's just a tremendous turnout. That's and I amazing. Thought yeah. was a huge feather of the cap for the Major League Baseball expansion effort. Uh, and then going into the game and thinking about opportunities lost. How many? So well, it many. seems like there were bases loaded almost every inning. Oh, my God. Uh, and uh, John Cancelosi trying to come home and score. And then uh, Hugh Kemp being the final hitter. You're down to, you have to use your pitcher to hit. And Hugh Kemp flying out to center field to end the game at, uh, you know, after five hours and I think seven minutes. Uh, just a night that I can never, ever forget. And another reason I can't forget it is because I live in Nashville now. And I'm supposed to have breakfast in the next few days right. with the then owner of the Nashville Sounds, Larry Schmidow, who keeps trying to rub that game. I was just say that'll probably come up. <laughs> yeah, that game will come oh, up, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Wow. As soon as he sees me, it comes up. <laughs> That's great. That was a even though they didn't win the game, I have such warm feelings for that that era of the team and for that team. I mean, yeah. Get to see Moises Salou the here. Years, they won the division. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Moises Alou played 75 games for him that year. You know, like I said, Merced, yeah. Orlando Merced had 99 RBIs. I'm looking this up. I don't remember this. 101 games he yeah. played. Carlos Garcia. Jeff Richardson. Yeah. Carlos Garcia was beginning to emerge as a, as a talent who was going to spend a good deal of time in the big leagues. I mean, that was a pretty good aggregation. And let's not also forget the pitching staff. Jackie Brown's pitching staff with manager Terry Collins, and you had Dorn Taylor, Rick Reed, Randy Kramer, uh, guys like that. Yeah. Who And some of the, and Morris Madden. And I'm still in contact with some of those guys. Wow. Kind of a cool Bison story. A few years ago, my wife was like, today at the Bison's game, they're having, before the game, you can walk your dog on the field. We should take our dog. Our dog was a puppy yes. then. Yeah, so it's like, all right, we yeah. can go. And then I'm looking up the game, like wondering who they're playing. Garrett Cole was pitching. I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Okay. Now you know how the 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 bullpens are just kind of right there. You know what I mean? And we we're walking around the stadium, 
And I said, as we're getting close to the cold warming up, I'm like, we're going to go real slow so we can watch him a little bit. Uh-huh. And man, just the sound of the ball hitting the mitt, just like, like, I was like, wow, this, yes. this guy is, this guy is a real thing. And how big he looked, like even being right next to him is like, wow, this guy is, and he didn't pitch that long in the game. Cause I think it was like a scheduled pitch count kind of a thing, even though he was still in the, yeah. he, he still wasn't a big leaguer yet. It was either the, it was shortly after he was drafted, but yeah, kind of a cool, unique moment to just be able to walk right by the guy who's going to start the game. Who's a first round pick and an and eventual superstar. Yeah, no, now you wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. The reconfiguration yep. of the bullpens. Yeah, but hey, all, hey, if it means this treat of having Major League Baseball here, you know what? What a what a thing! Yes, what an amazing sure. thing for the city. All right, uh, the sportscaster here with Pete Weber, who is a Buffalo sports legend, and it's an honor for me to have him on the show. I wanted to ask you this because we don't know right now if Rick Jenneret will be back for another year. I know he's been. Yep. hanging on, desperately wanting to go out on a better season than the last few have been. Yes. I, I feel like that's been a part of his decision. He's actually, I think, articulated this, that you know he didn't want to go out on a 32nd-place team that had so little to be excited about. And and one of the true crimes of this last decade is going to be that we you know wasted 10 years of Rick Jenneret playoff calls. Um, but yeah. when he does retire... You know, I feel like baseball just had this where, you know, when Vince Scully retired, kind of felt like the end of a particular era of broadcasters. And maybe yes. Jenneret is one of the last few. Um, in Pittsburgh, does their guy still call for the radio? I think he does, right? Uh, uh, Mike has Mike, had yeah. a difficult year okay. medically, Mike Lang. Oh, yeah. Uh, Another legend. Goes by his, uh, by his uh, email nickname, Snowman. Uh, and uh, I'm in fairly regular contact with him. Uh, he is still doing it. I hope he continues to do it. Me but too. Boy, he, he joined the Penguins in 1974, so he and Rick truly are contemporaries in that regard, as was uh, my former partner with the L.A. Kings, Bob Miller, whose uh, health forced his retirement several years ago. But Bob Miller joined the Kings in the fall of 73, after calling the Wisconsin Badgers NCAA championship. Yeah, that's why that's wild. Wow. I bring them up just because I wonder if, you know, it feels like when that era clears out, almost like you'll be the, then your, your group will be like the senior era, you know, like, um, I don't know. Have you thought about at all where you fit in the kind of, um, the pantheon of broadcasters, people who've called NHL games, called sports for so long. If you started to think about that at all, and I guess when you see people like Rick or when Scully left, does it bring about a thought to you, like, you know, how you want to close it off or what you hope? Um, you know, we, we almost had a, an incident where it wasn't going to be your decision, you know, or, and the first time you were on, we talked a lot about that, how we almost lost you. Yeah. But what, what do you think about, about, about the end and, and, and does the decisions of these other legends bring about anything in you or affect you in any way? Well, I'm enjoying doing it too much right now to uh, think about things along those lines. I guess I would win if <laughs> uh, I retire. Yeah. But uh, it, it's been way too much fun. 
for a kid who grew up going across the dial at night on that Zenith radio on my nightstand, listening, and in those days, that was virtually all the sports were carried on 50,000-watt stations, uh, listening to Harry Carey and Jack Buck in St. Louis, listening to Lloyd Pettit before there was the 12-team NHL, listening to Lloyd Pettit do the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, and I was on Ernie Harwell in Detroit, Halsey Hall in Minnesota, even listening, if you will, to AAA baseball out of Dallas-Fort Worth, the Dallas-Fort Worth Spurs on WBAP, 8.30 a.m. in the uh, Dallas marketplace. I just loved it all. It just absolutely captivated me. And listening to Mike Lang's favorite guy, Bob Chase, or not Mike, but uh, Mike Emmerich's favorite guy, Bob Chase on the Fort Wayne Comets, on 50,000-watt W-O-W-O Fort Wayne. That was uh, fantastic entertainment for me. And then listening to those guys got me interested in the business, especially after I found out not only were they evidently having a good time, but they were getting paid for what they were doing. So let's try to pursue this. Let's see if you can possibly pay you for that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they actually pay for this. Wow. Uh, this is amazing. Sign me now, up. Sometimes not too well, but uh, right. You know, right. Let's let's adjust to having fun and then balancing that out with uh, having the career. So it, it was. Uh, I, I've not really gotten down to it though. Bob Miller and I have talked about his old college classmate Harry Callis, who we don't know if we want to go out that way, but he died in the broadcast booth at Nationals Park and was carried out of there, and, and that was it for him. So that's maybe not the ideal way, but right. that's sort of the way we, we drive ourselves toward doing it on a daily basis. Right. It, there's so many great voices in the last handful of years, it feels like, whether it's Bob Cole, you know, or, yep. you know, it's so many guys, obviously Scully we talked about. My buddy Joe Bowen. Joe yeah. Bowen's been yeah. doing the Leafs since 82 yeah. And like we were texting back and forth the other day, he goes, I can't believe how long it is I've had to wait to do a Canadian's Leafs playoff series. No kidding. But finally that's realized yeah. this year. Yeah, wow. And they were so close to Stanley Cup meeting in 93. Yes. So close. Yes. You know? Uh, and, and they're not going to let Kerry Frazier. No, they're not. No, they're not. And I don't blame them. <laughs> I, that's a bad one. Those ones that that's hard to people say get over it. I've been a Saints fan since I was seven years old, and I know what it feels like now. Like I'll never get over that. Yeah. Not I'll never get over that game. I'll get over the Minnesota miracle or whatever it's called. Whatever they made a play, mm-hmm. but when you get when you feel like you got cheated, that's hard to that's hard to shake off. <laughs> and the Leafs fans are proving it because that was 1993, and they have not not shaken it off to say the least. No. no. Now, maybe the fact that they've only won one playoff series since, though they seem on the precipice of right. winning this one. Right. But uh, that probably makes it hurt more. I'm sure it does. Well, like, whenever you get into a beef with Leafs fans as a Sabres fan, they'll be like, oh, how many cups have you won? It's like, well, the same amount you have since we've been in the league, right? I mean, it was back yes. in <laughs> 1968 or whatever the last time they won one. Like, we 67. Weren't even, yep. 67. 67. Yeah, we weren't even in the league yeah. yet. So you're right with right. us there. Leaf fans, you know, so. And the guy who led you to those last cups of the 60s was the guy who was there at the start of the Buffalo Sabres, Punch Imlac. Punch Imlac, yep, yep. Wow. Well, I could do this all day, but 
I'm going to be honest. I feel like I have a responsibility to let you rest your voice because you got <laughs> I've I feel like this has been long enough and you need to drink your tea or whatever you do to I am, those, I am sipping tea yeah, as we speak. Those young 70-year-old pipes need to be at full capacity for <laughs> for what I hope is a seven gamer at the very least and maybe more even yeah, beyond and, that. Yeah, uh, and game six not starting until, well, you know, the 9 o'clock hour Eastern time. Like I said earlier, that almost seems like a guarantee for right. overtime again. <laughs> those are the late the ones. Game. Yeah, those are the late ones. Well, listen, if you do find your way to Buffalo this summer for a ball game, let me know, and I'll I'll drive down there just to shake your hand. Um, but I really appreciate you. Do you, so, have, do you have any you questions me. for me? Just in case. I got to check. Yes. What? So sure. what do you – as we were mentioning Rick. Yeah. And I have – you know, and, and guess what? You know who does stats down here for visiting broadcasts on occasion is Ted Darling's son. Oh, I his, love uh, Ted. Youngest child, Tim Darling. Oh, wow. Uh, so we, we talk an awful lot about old Sabres days. Yeah. And here's a story for you to store away. Okay. Tim Darling was born the night of the opening game of the 75-76 Sabres season. Ted Darling comes down from Lockport with his wife, Sheila, and they know she's about to deliver. He drops Sheila off at the hospital. He calls the season opening game, comes back to the hospital, and there in Sheila's arms is little Tim Darling. Ah, beautiful. I think of him yep. every time I'm at the arena and I look up to the press box. You know, I think of Ted Darling. Oh, yeah. He was the voice when I started in watching these games. You know, he was the guy that was there. And and, and my, my grandma. How much fun he was to work with, Steve. He was fun to work with. I, because I, Mike Robitaille, I did the cable, and uh, those, especially those April Fools telecasts. Oh yeah. Thankfully, some of which have been preserved on YouTube. <laughs> right. You know, type in Buffalo Sabres April Fools broadcast, and uh, you're going to get some giggles. I hope. Well, rest in peace to Ted. What a, what a legend he was. We've, we've been blessed in Buffalo to have some amazing people come through here to call games between Van Miller, Rick Jenneret, Ted yeah. Darling, yourself. Rick Jenneret. I mean, wow, what an embarrassment of riches almost. I mean, Van Miller and, and even yeah. going back, Bill Mazur, Stan Barron. Yeah, some excellent callers of games. Thank you so much for, for being a part of what I do. I appreciate you very much, and it'd be great to see you this summer if you come down. We got each other. I got your number, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it. Yes, you do. And I have yours. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate being on. Thanks, Pete. We're all all good. Thank you so much. I hope it's a, a good run for you here. I, I'll be rooting for you guys. Much appreciated. All right. Take care, my man. I was a little too tall. Could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, all of renown. She was a black haired beauty with big dark eyes and points on her own, sudden way up high. Way up firm and high. Out past the cornfields where the woods got heaven. I want to thank Pete Weber. 
for being on the podcast today. It's always an honor for me to have him. You know, I almost have to pinch myself uh, when I'm talking to someone like that who called so many games that I listened to on the radio when I was just an innocent young sports fan and just falling in love with the games and the people who called them. So a huge thanks to Pete Weber for being on the show. All right, quick book club update. Uh, First, I've been really looking forward to this one, and I'm going to officially add it to the book club today because it's coming out soon, and I have my copy. You may have seen I tweeted a picture of the beautiful Paula uh, holding the next John Wertheim book, Glory Days, the summer of 1984 and the 90 days that changed sports and culture forever. John and I talked about this book quite a bit the last time he was on the show. It'll be released on June 15th, 2021, so it's right around the corner. And of course, John will be here to talk about about the book. So I'm really excited about this one. Glory Days, the summer of 1984, and the 90 Days that Changed Sports and Culture Forever by John Wertheim, who changed my life forever. So uh, we will uh, have that one. I'm going to do my best job to sell that book and promote it for him because uh, I feel like he did a really great thing for me and I want to return that favor and do a great thing for him. Another book we kind of announced last time, I believe, is called Cobra, A Life of Baseball and Brotherhood by Dave Parker and Dave Jordan. Uh, Dave Jordan reached out to me and asked if I would read this book and have him on and I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm most of the way through it. So I'm sure Dave will be on soon. I haven't heard anything about Dave Parker being on, so I assume it's going to be Dave Jordan. I know someone's been asking me about that in email, maybe even a couple people. Uh, I've never heard his name mentioned as a potential guest. All my correspondence has been with Dave Jordan, so I assume that's who will be on is Dave Jordan. But the book is called Cobra, A Life of Baseball and Brotherhood. And then the other book is uh, by an author named Pete, uh, and it's a, a basketball book, which I'm trying to pull up here. Catching my Pete, Pete Croato, Croato, Croato. I'm going to have to find out how to say that before he's on. But the book is called From Hang Time to Prime Time, and that's a basketball book, um, and I'm almost done with that one as well. Uh, so Pete will be on soon. He's from Ithaca, or is in Ithaca. Either way, um, and he's going to be on uh, to to talk about that book. His byline, New York Times, GQ, Rolling Stone, SI, Slam. Uh, the book is called From Hang Time to Prime Time. Uh, so check that out if you can, um, because I know that uh, he would appreciate that if you did. So three books right now, Glory Days, From Hang Time to Prime Time, and Cobra. And that's the book club from now. For now, so we'll take a break. Uh, we'll come back uh, with Mike Shope from uh, WGR Sports Radio 550 in Buffalo. Our next guest today is not one of the British Bulldogs, but when I searched YouTube for Shope and the Bulldog theme music, this is what kept coming up. So I said, all right, we'll go with the British Bulldog. Uh, He's a 
St. John Fisher graduate. He's been a longtime host of the Midday Drive Sports Talk in Buffalo, Chopin the Bulldog. He's making one of several appearances he's made on the show today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Mike Show. Hey, Mike. Steve, how are you? Good. Very good. Thanks for coming on today. Mm-hmm. Seems like there's a lot going on. A lot going on here all of a sudden in Buffalo. I mean, first of all, there's going to be Major League Baseball here again, and this time we can go to it, which is crazy to me. I remember the expansion time when we were in the mix, you know, in the, in the I guess, late 80s, and just being kind of heartbroken that it didn't happen. And then in retrospect, maybe grateful it didn't because we probably wouldn't have made it through the strike and all that. I don't know. But are you excited about baseball being here? Is it different this year because you can go see it or we can go see it? Um, I know you're kind of a baseball guy. You sh- I mean, my my perception of you as a listener for all these years is like, oh, Mike's, Mike, like, Mike's a baseball guy, kind of. I bet he wishes he could talk about it more. I don't know. Thoughts on that? <laughs> well, you're right. Uh, I, I, I am happy to admit it. Um I am excited for it, and it's definitely different than last year. The the thing about watching sports with no fans in attendance, it really just doesn't matter where it is. I mean, there are yeah. there are landmarks and there are advertisements, local. I mean, the, the Jays played in Buffalo last year, but the signage was all Toronto. It was all, you know, their banks and their coffee shops and everything, and so, I mean, really, I was watching the hockey game last night thinking about that. Just it's still, I can't really get over the experience. It's sort of a struggle for me to watch a sporting event with nobody there. It really just feels like it shouldn't be happening. Like, the, the whole point of it is to play in front of a crowd. TV comes after that, right? I mean, they didn't start with TV. It started with people watching on the premises. Of course, I understand why they're not there, but it just... Watching the Leafs and the Canadians with no one in the building, it just doesn't feel like a real game. Oh, the play, the but, hockey know, playoffs have illuminated that so much. When you can watch one or the right when there's two going on and one has the fans and one doesn't, you see how strikingly different it is. Yeah, it yeah. just feels like a practice or a, a, an exhibition or something. There's something wrong to me about it. But as far as going to the ballpark next week to see the blue jays go is like i'm i'm very excited for it and i really don't have it figured out what it's going to feel like or look like i mean it's it's a combination of the surreal aspect of seeing major league game in that ballpark you know with being sort of elbow to elbow with people like you would be normally at a sporting event that you don't know um sitting in the so-called vaccinated section so right I don't really, I don't, I haven't really figured out what that's going to feel like. I don't know that I will or will try too much, but I, I am very, very much up for it. It'll be interesting because when the Yankees are here, they'll be a road team. You know, I mean, it will be what ninety five percent Yankee fans, right? I mean, I assume, or close to that, I would think. Probably. I yeah. mean, this is this is through no fault of their own. The, the Blue Jays are really not Buffalo's team. They, they are, in, you know, logistically. Right. But in terms of the fans, I don't, I don't think they are. And you know, like you kind of alluded to the fact that we don't talk a lot of baseball on the show. I'm not sure how well I know exactly. I mean, how many baseball? I have friends who are baseball fans, but it's not something that we sort of deal with on the show all the time. So I just sort of assume that it's Yankees because it pretty much seems like it always has been. 
Um, but, you know, when they play the Marlins or even the Astros next week, they'll probably have the crowd. I mean, yeah, there is a... Absolutely. It, I would it, think. It is, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it is the farm team, and it's a it's good timing with that, with Guerrero and Bichette, you know, guys who did play for the Bisons and Biggio. Sure. So And a good team. If you're into the... Yes, yeah. right. If you're into the Bisons, you do like you like that. You know, you like that with the Indians when they got good with all their guys who had played for the Bisons. So I think that that is something meaningful. I remember even when I was a kid that I, I really loved the Braves because they were the one team I could watch every day here. You know, I could actually get involved in the season and watch the Braves every day on TBS. But then when they were in the playoffs against the Pirates and the Pirates had Orlando Merced, I knew him from the Bisons, and I would kind of cheer for his at-bats, even though I wanted the Braves to win. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I was like, that guy was on the Bisons, and I knew him so clearly. You mentioned radio in, in relation to baseball, and you guys don't get to discuss it much. Do you think that this is going to offer an opportunity to do that more? Will Do you think we'll treat the Blue Jays when they're here like a – Buffalo home team and that will open up the opportunity to speak more or is it more just a novelty an opportunity to go and see major league baseball in our city for the first 110 years is that kind of trumpet more that it's just like this opportunity to be a part of something we haven't in so long in the city that we love or you know do you think we'll get swept up in the Buffalo Blue Jays idea of it and Maybe that offers offers an opportunity in your in your job and radio to to go there and treat the Blue Jays like a home team. I don't know. Well, there there will be that opportunity. I guess I would lean toward expecting not to do it. I mean, there's different kind not to be doing much talk about them. There, there's there's all kinds of different ways of using, say, the the Blue Jays in in terms of content. You know, you can. You can talk about which you might mean more the why didn't Montoya bunt the runner over? You right, know, like why, the minutia we get into with the Bills and the Sabres. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The decisions. I mean, yeah. the, 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 the most important thing to a good sports discussion is that there's a decision to be discussed. You know, even if it's a player, why did he jump for the ball? You know, anything that sort of brings out a decision being made is the, is the key thing. I don't think we'll do a lot of why did he leave the pitcher in? Why didn't they bat for whoever? I mean, I don't even really know the team that well to want to do that. And if Bulldog or I don't really know it, then we won't do it because it's just not, there's other things you can talk about. Sure. I mean, having said that, the experience of going, whether it's the, the Toronto Blue Jays or a rodeo in, in 2021, going to a thing where you're sitting with people and sort of getting back into that will be novel and interesting to discuss. And then I think, you know, the star power perhaps of Guerrero, who's just having an amazing season, could be something in and of itself. A certain play that happens, you know, if there's a an oddball sort of occurrence, things right, like someone that. Someone hits it on the throughway, you know. Something, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Th- I, things like that could be topics. Those things can be topics where, where, wherever the game is played. So, um with this, I mean, I'll be going to a couple of these games, and so I'll have my own experience to, to share. And for us, you know, at least in my opinion, that's always valuable. I mean, whatever, it, we could be talking about anything. Something that doesn't have to do with sports. If it's something that we went through in our lives or did, then that, you know, has worked for us.
me ask you this one more baseball thing. There's been, what, six no-hitters already? And these games have all these strikeouts. You know, like, it seems like it's not uncommon to look at a guy and he pitched six innings and had 12, 13 strikeouts. And then there's also all these home runs. Not a lot of balls in play. There's all this discussion about is it time to alter the game in a way that they switch the pitcher's mound or, you know, do something to change the progression of the game. Maybe do they ban the shift? There's all these different things people are talking about. As just a baseball fan, I think we both are kind of established that already, but do you feel that the game is broken in some way? Do you think it needs to be fixed? Is there a change you're hoping for? Do you still love it the same? Do you do you, or do you watch the games and think, man, you know, I just would really enjoy a bunt here for some reason. I don't, you know, I don't know <laughs> something that well, goes back to you know the baseball we grew up on. The thing that I would value about the bunt in that example is that's a decision, and that's what the debate I mean, that's of what it. I love about yeah. sports. It's why I'm doing this. It's what I think makes the the best conversation. So. Yeah, I mean, sacrifices and hit-and-run plays and steals and pitching changes, you know, the, the, the context of changes, pitching changes were, you know, are so different now. Those things are good for conversation. Um, I don't really find anything that objectionable about what the game looks like because sports, just like everything else, I mean, they, they evolve. And I, I am all here for the, the way we got here. You know, we got here by the sport optimizing decision-making numbers, you know, being able to provably improve what decisions are made and how they're made. And that's all good. If the mound needs to be moved back a foot so that batters can have a better chance of making contact, if they're going to just swing for home runs, maybe you change the strike zone, things like that. I don't think, I don't have any sort of moral objection to those kind of experiments. It really feels like the way hockey has felt for the last 30 years, where we're always talking about what to do with it to fix it. (laughs) So, you know, I, I, I don't think you should, I don't think baseball should be closed to those kind of ideas, even if they sound pretty crazy. And I don't think they are closed to those ideas because I think, you know, at least on a certain level, they know that they have changes that they need to, to figure out how to make. But the, the money is still apparently really amazing for teams. And they're able, some of them are able to roll out lineups without really seemingly any care about how good they are, which, I mean, none of that is a good thing, but that's also been a, bit, been a part of baseball pretty much forever. Um, I, I don't know what kind of particular incentive owners have is my, is my point right. to, to make these changes, but I think fans would like to see some effort. And then you have a team like the Rays who – Man, they've just perfected what they do, you know, and they do it. Man, I would think they're the envy of teams like, you know, the Pirates or whoever's not spending a lot of money rolling out a whatever lineup and making their cash on a regional sports deal and tickets, you know, whatever the business model is. But the Blue Jays blow my mind. There's this guy named Bill Apter who used to be like the main photographer in the magazine, the wrestling magazines we used to see in the grocery stores and he wrote a book called is wrestling fixed i didn't know it was broken and i always think about that when they when they talk about these sports you know like 
Is baseball does baseball need to be fixed? And I was like, I didn't know it was broken. I don't know. Um, but I feel like I with analytics, which man are so important in baseball for sure, and are getting more and more important in all sports. I think. Um, but then I feel like we get to the playoffs, and I don't know where you where you think about this. I think uh, I had a debate with I think it was Jeff Passan on here uh, when the the Rays or the Yankees had just played it so close to the book. And I was just like, I don't know. I feel like in the playoffs, the need for one run is so much more important that when you're playing it, analytics are based to be played out over the 162 games. And that if you play it this way, you'll win it this many more times. And that's why it makes sense. But then I always felt like when the postseason gets, you get to the postseason, it gets shrunk. It's like, I don't know, maybe giving up that one out for a bunt to go second and third with one out because that one run is the difference in playing next week or not. And then I think they came back at me and was like, well, no, you still want the greatest opportunity to get that run. And I was like, okay, I get that, and that makes sense, but I'm torn. And then I think we got into the debate about taking pitchers out after 60 pitches or you know whatever that strict number they're following. And it's like... I don't know. To me, that's meant to let this pitcher last through the season. It's like, well, now you need to see if you can squeeze 90 out of him. You need him right this second. But you're, to me, you're the, the, like someone who I think would very much live and die by the analytics. So tell me why I'm crazy. I don't think you're crazy, but I do sort of side against you in, what you're, in these examples because I think you've got two different categories, if you will, of of information. You've got how do I win the most games over the course of the year? And then how do I win this game? And right. I don't see why necessarily, how do I win this game is any different depending on when the game is played. So you might have a different roster size in the playoffs. You know, you're playing the same opponent every day and that could be a variable, right? You, the whole point of the third time through the order is that players are familiar with the pitcher. And if it's the second or third time they've seen them in the series or in the week, Maybe that's a variable. I think teams are still figuring that out. But um, no, like when Snell gets pulled, like he did in yeah, the World Series, yeah, that cost Series, the World Series. I think I don't know. Well, it looks like it because yeah. the next guy didn't get get them out. Right. <laughs> so sure. you don't know how Snell does because he didn't stay in the game. We do know how this pitcher did. If a, dif- a different pitcher had been chosen, it's probably a different result in some to some extent. It's just I I would do I, I tend to defer to you know in this day and age anyway like if i feel like because i'm not going to know all the information i feel like what what we're dealing with here with baseball is moves like that come from a good place and i think it's especially likely when they seem so strikingly unpopular right <laughs> then, then i think there's extra reason to give the benefit of the doubt to kevin cash or it was uh, Roberts the year before with the Dodgers when he who was it was he took Hill out of a game and people yep. were all over him for that. Like, well, he knows what this looks like and he's doing it anyway. So it's in, in life that's probably a good sign. I just think sometimes the managers get caught not looking up at the field and looking down at the binder too much, you know. But someone would argue with me like, you start if you're at the blackjack table and you're playing by feel and not by the numbers, you're going to lose. You know, so I understand. Okay, that. I mean, yeah, I understand that part it, of it. it. Those teams are in the World Series. They are. Yep. Yep. No, you're right. 
You're right. I see it both ways. I understand. I'm not like an anti-analytics guy. You know what yeah. I mean? I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't want to come off that way. I'm not. I understand how important it is. Mm-hmm. The sportscaster here with Mike Show. You do Buffalo. You do sports talk radio every day in Buffalo. And I was thinking about this when I was getting ready to talk to you today. For so long, and most of the time when you've been here, the Bills were bad, and in the last two or three years. They've been good to great. Last year, they were great. And I wonder, how has that changed the job? If it has or hasn't. You know, how is uh, the fact that the Bills have went from, man, sometimes a nightmare, to every fan's dream come true? You know, yeah. how has that changed? If it has, maybe it ha- maybe the answer is it hasn't. I don't know. So, I think maybe... I don't. I, I, the the first answer that comes to mind to this question, which I get frequently, is that it's harder. The job is harder, but it doesn't mean it's hard. You know, in a way that I would want to hold up against people who have you know real jobs with real work and stuff. I feel I've always I've always felt very lucky to be in the job that I have. So it's not hard in that sort of not digging ditches way. is what you mean, right? No, yeah, yeah. right, no. But it, it's a different challenge. It's definitely different when. The, the roster and the organization is in flux, like it was for so many of those years. There are big questions on listeners' minds all the time. It's really how we sort of, it was one reason or one way how we sort of evolved into a show where we were pretty much, instead of talking about five or six different sports topics, really just talking about them or the Sabres, you know, because who the quarterback should be or who the coach should be, we're just always like, good questions <laughs> for years at a time. Yeah. It's Patrick here. Right. What to do about Lossman, Edwards. I mean, EJ Manuel. those were always good questions. And anytime you wanted to, and you really should be doing this all the time as you sort of, you're talking about that. So now those are not good questions. Those are ridiculous questions to ask about the bill, those particular questions. So, I mean, I'm finding we're doing more, about we're doing more toward comparing them with other teams. Um, we're, we're not talking about what what their weakness might be at weak side linebacker or whatever any any particular position on the roster. In the same way you would quarterback, it's just not even it's not a conversation that most of your listeners are really into. It right. sort of aren't ready for it, and we're probably better off talking about other things. So it's it's different in that way that. That kind of thing showed up after games, you know, maybe not on post game, but into the week where it's just like they're just killing people in December, and there's really nothing to pick out as a problem. When when this will you'll notice this this year, especially because the standards have have gotten higher and expectations. When there were those games, fans were ready to be critical. Like when they lost to Tennessee. When they struggled at the Jets, you know, it was there was an appetite for what is wrong with these guys, you know, and there there always is and the there pessimism are, there are of the area, really, yeah. Well, of 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 a sports fan, yeah. you know, of a like of a really serious sports fan, it's sort oh. of you're, you're critical by nature, yeah. And so there there are people over the years who, of course, will like be critical of us for quote focusing on the negative. You know, to me, it's really it's it's fundamental to doing that job well. And when 
the team is really good, it's harder to figure out ways. You're not trying to be negative. It's just sort of you're trying to be interesting. And, gee, aren't they great is, is not at all interesting. I can't live with myself when that's where we end up. I mean, I've just got <laughs> right. to move it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's, there, there are differences. You know, it's funny because I've, you know, I've been a Saints fan since I was seven years old, and my brothers always get on my case for being negative or pessimistic. And it's like even those be- the best teams we've had, I, when we would lose one of those three games or four games or whatever, I'd be like, see this team, they just don't have it. They're just, they're not at that level. And I've only been wrong once, you know what I mean? So and, <laughs> and they've probably had, you know, tw- man, well, 12, no, that's a lot. Six, seven teams that maybe you could have argued had a chance at it. And um, yep. I was only wrong once, you know what I mean? So I feel like it keeps the well, pe- pessimism alive. You, you know, it's it's really sort of, I think, a serious sports fan's way is to to take a team and look at it in terms of a championship. It's not that a failure to win a championship means it was all a big waste of time and energy. I mean, it's not, it's not at all that, but that is really what it's about with the Sabres. These, these years are just completely meaningless to me because if you can't even be a possibility Uh. to win, then I'm not watching your games. I'm done. Uh. I got to figure out what, what to say and what, what bring up, bring up opinions. But, I've got no interest in watching a team that has no chance of winning. It's just there's there's too much else to do. So for that's always been the fan that I am. I mean, you it's, you you have to show you have to show me that you have a chance here, or else I don't care. Yeah, and I think post pandemic, like when the sports shut down and they weren't there at all, and I found all these other things to fill that time. They're in the battle now for that time. You know what I mean? And if it's seven o'clock mm-hmm. on Tuesday. And the Sabres are playing the Islanders again, and I know they're going to lose the game five to two, or whatever the score was every time. You know, I'm just like, well, I'm not doing that. You know, let's watch another episode of the Marvelous Mister Maisel or whatever. You know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, you were talking a second ago about you know just because it's about championships doesn't mean it wasn't you know a good journey or whatever. I was been forced to kind of put the last. 11 years as a fan into perspective with the retirement of Drew Brees, you know, and all I've been saying to myself is, man, I hope, I hope I enjoyed that enough. You know, I hope I really did. I hope I hope I didn't focus too much on the playoff games that got named, you know, in the wrong way, mm-hmm. you know, or, mm-hmm. or, you know, I hope I didn't focus too much on silly things. I hope I just enjoyed being alive the 11 years that the best player will ever have was on my team. You know, I don't know. So I would, if I was a Bills fan right now, I'd be, I think really trying to focus on just enjoying that part of it, you know, and hoping that you don't let it pass, you know, especially coming out of what what they came out of, you know, and, and and you, you're analyzing that or you have analyzed that in in an interesting way. That's kind of how I think about life, you know, am I, with your kids, people are always telling you they grow up so fast, you know, right. Uh, savor every minute. And, you know, sometimes I will just stare at them and, and think, am I savoring this appropriately? Am I, am I getting the very most out of this minute with my daughter? Like I, wh- I want to think that I am, but is there some way I can do more to be enjoying this more? You know, it's really sort of your, your nature and your personality. Um, but sure. Yes. It's a good thing to keep in the window. 
if you will, is to remember that, you know, when you have a good team, that's that's preferable. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, you want to make sure you're enjoying it. I remember this game the Saints played against Seattle in Seattle. It was a Monday night game, and the Christmas tree was up, so it was later in the year, and both teams had, like, one or two losses. And I just remember being so excited all day. Even though I knew it was in Seattle and it probably wasn't a great chance to win and the game went bad and I went to bed pissed off. But then I woke up the next day and I was just like, man, I remember growing up and just dreaming that the Saints could have a Monday night game. Like just the thought that they even be considered to be on the Monday night schedule was insane. Like that that's so cool that they play four or five of these a year now. Like, man, how lucky. You know, I just try to remind myself – was. was have been trying to remind myself of that all the time. And the kid thing is, like, every year at my daughter's birthday, I have a daughter who's about to turn five. Every year I think, like, wow, did I, you know, hopefully I got the most out of having a four-year-old because that's it. Never going to have a four-year-old again, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, we, we mentioned the Sabres, and I, I don't want to not talk about them at all, but I wonder where you stand on Jack Eichel because for me it's just like they can't trade Jack Eichel in my opinion. I mean, I know there's a lot of people who've got to the point where they have to trade Jack Eichel or whatever. I don't know. I think I hope they learn their lesson from Ryan O'Reilly and how bad that went. I just don't think you can trade him unless for sure you can get they have to get one hundred pennies on the dollar if they're going to trade him. You know what I mean? They can't trade him for seven ninety five cents on the dollar. I mean, and it just seems to me any trade you can put together that the other team would do we're the losers. I, I just don't think they can do it, and I feel like if they do do it, they might as well just shut the lights off behind them. I don't know. It's such a frustrating spot to be in with them. Like like you said, I think we've both had moments. I know we've both had moments in the last year where we just turned their back on them in a sense, like I'm playing Parcheesi or whatever else, anything else. Um, but I also feel like when I just block all the negativity out, and I think about what they have right now, I still, maybe it's silly optimism, but I still feel like the right coach and the right GM, it's not that far off from at least being a playoff team. I don't know. You know, when I think about how young some of their good players are and what they could be and and what Granado, a guy who'd never had been a head coach, was able to get out of some of them and I don't know. Where do you stand about Eichel and the team in general? Maybe not a good question, but well, I, I'm I'm not I'm not as fatalistic about life beyond him as as you sound. I mean, I the 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 as the saying goes, no one player is bigger than the team, and you don't have to lose a trade like that. What what you have to I think maybe put above that is just what do you know about his feelings and his commitment to you. And I don't know. I've just never, I I shouldn't say never just what matters is at at present. And maybe, maybe this is selling it short, but I'm not especially confident in his commitment to the, to the organization. So if you have that problem, then you, you do move on. I, I, I think that that's appropriate. You don't have to, but I think that that isn't, you know, it's not a it's not a path you avoid. It, it, it might end up at a point where it's just what you have to do. So 
you have we have this in a lot of places in sports right now. You have it in Houston and you have it in Green Bay, and where you just what what is the team supposed to do? What is what are the Packers supposed to do in this situation? What are the Sabres supposed to do? You have the probably the the further complication with Eichel of this injury, and I don't know. I think there's probably a lot left to be known about how that has gone. Well, now the but last that, hold on. The last thing on that is they have agreed, right? Is that true? Did I read that Adam said that path. they've now agreed on a, a health plan for him? Did you hear that or no? Am I making that up? I I didn't hear that. Is that today? Um, no, I want to say it was a day or two ago. I opened the NHL.com app to watch a highlight okay. of a playoff goal. And I, whenever I open that app, the Sabres come up because I like set them to my favorite team or something. And the news of the mm-hmm. day was Adam says Sabres agree with Eichel or something like that. I'll look for it while you're talking real quick. Not that I won't be listening. <laughs> I will be listening, but okay. I want to check that for us. Go ahead. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to know. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't think you have to be terrified of, of, of an Eichel trade. I don't think they have to be. I think when you're bad like this, you know, you, you still get to keep playing. And, and no no amount of bad decisions and bad seasons cancels you from the league. So they, they still get to keep playing. And you, with that, you always have an opportunity to build. And I think Adams has like a really special opportunity that he might be right for. I mean, he's got the local tie and I, I think he's impressive in his, in his, in his press conferences. If he can, he didn't do badly last year, convincing <clears throat> important people to come to the Sabres. Like right. that's kind of what this is going to be. So I'm not too pessimistic for him or the coach. And like you pointed out, they have some good players. They just have never had a good roster. They've made too many bad choices. Many of which don't mean anything anymore. Having Ristolainen play it all for them for the last five years, at least is just to me unforgivable. Like they should just know they should just look at stats and just know it should be obvious. And it not only has not been obvious, they've never even gotten there. And that has had a lot to do with their failures and, you know, other pieces too, usually depth forwards are just a a disaster for the Sabres. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not in the worst place. I don't think the, the whole, the whole reason to be excited about getting Eichel when they did was that it gave you a chance to win championships. That's what the elite players set you up for like what's happened with Tampa Colorado being in that position you're talking about the very best players in the game Pittsburgh they don't always win like Edmonton is proof of or Buffalo but at least you have a chance of it and like a a more realistic chance of it that's what he means it's not making the playoffs it's winning big and so the, the Sabres shouldn't you know you know he he's great so you'll have a better chance of winning a game with him on the ice than without him. But the goal should still be the top. And that, that is the part about an Eichel trade that's sort of daunting to me. So am I going to need the next elite player? It's all, it's, having said all that, though, Steve, it's just, it's, the idea of it is so far away. Like my body language is, is changing as I'm talking to you about yeah, the Sabres winning the Cup. Mm-hmm. What, what, they, what they've got to do is take a step up from the basement and look like a team you can buy into the way they did in around 2003-04 when they started to put a team together that was interesting. And, and maybe the last 20 games or whatever constitute that, or, but maybe they don't. We really don't know yet. Yeah, I, want, I mean, it'd be nice if they could 
get Danny Breer, you know, make another trade like that, right? Where they trade Chris Gratton and then somehow Danny Breer shows up. Like, that'd be great. <laughs> um, yeah, well. I, I think in response to what you said, I just think that, like, the Penguins didn't win with Mario Lemieux for, what, seven years? I don't know. Good thing they didn't give up on that. I don't know. Um, and I'm right. not comparing Eichel to Lemieux. I'm just saying sometimes when you get that guy, like you said, who represents the chance to win a championship, it doesn't happen as quick as maybe we'd like, but that doesn't mean it couldn't happen. He's still so young. I mean, he's so young relative to how long athletes are playing now. Um, like, look at the way Patrick Kane, how good Patrick Kane still is, right? He was the first pick in 2005, six, seven. I don't know. Somewhere in there. Long time Eight. ago. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's still one of the top players in the league. I just feel like, and you mentioned like Rodgers and Watson, right? Well, Rodgers, the, the Packers are in a tricky spot because he could just say, you know what? I got a Super Bowl. I got Jeopardy. <laughs> you know, I'm out, right? Where Eichel, he's not going to do that. Like, where's he going to, he, he committed to this place. You know, he signed the deal. He committed here. I believe that. I don't, I think he's such a determined guy. I don't think you're going to get, some kind of Patrick Lane effort out of him or something, you know. I don't know. I I just I, I just feel I just feel like we'd regret. I just don't want to give up on it. Maybe that's me being stubborn, you know. Maybe it is, but man, I'd hate to. I just feel like everyone has a spy that you know what's right now. If we do make the trade now, and that's just a recipe for Tage Thompson and someone who retires and you know the thirtieth pick or whatever. I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. And I think so. This is what I saw on the NHL app. I got, I think, tricked a little bit by the uh, headline. The headline says Eichel neck injury rehab agreed upon by doctors, Sabres, GM says. Um, But nowhere in the article then is anything about what Eichel thinks about the agreement. So they got me with the headline a little bit there. (laughs) Um, All right. So the Sabres have agreed. I don't know if. that necessarily mean that Jack agrees. Um, all right. Uh, the sportscasters again here with Mike Shope. You can listen to him um, on WGR 550 in Buffalo or on the internet, on the uh, the app and um, the website and all that, which is usually how I do it now, which is weird because I live here. I remember when the opportunity to listen to Mike and the Mad Dog on my phone finally came. I got an iPhone and they were on this app and I could listen to them in the car. Like my life had changed. And then like three days later, the dog went to Sirius. Um, But now I even, (laughs) now it seems like when I'm listening to you and uh, the bulldog talk, it's still that, that way instead of, you know, turning on the radio and just listening to you like I'm able because I live here. But um, whatever way you choose, you can do that and listen to him there. Last thing, let me get you out of here on this. This sh- I just mentioned the Mad Dog leaving, and you've been with the same guy in the same time for so long. Um, do you wonder about the run? Do you ever think, like, are, are we getting to the end of this? Uh, do I need something different? Does my partner need something different? Does the station want something different? Or do you feel like, you know what, we're in a groove. The bills are good. Uh, there's all these things to talk about, decisions to talk about with the Sabres, like we mentioned before. Um, man, it's a great time. I'm going to ride this for for longer. You know, I'll be uh, 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to be on the last episode of Happy Days. I ain't leaving just because Fonzie jumped the shark or whatever. How do you feel about the um, the spot you're in professionally? It's always fun. But it's, it's, it's different in the sense of what the Bills have become, but it's always fun. It was, it's fun every day to go in there and figure out how to do something interesting, how to keep an interesting conversation going for four hours. Like that is always, that is a challenge. I someday, if I'm not doing it, I, that is the thing I'll miss. I mean, I, I'll miss sort of that. And then the, 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 what the chemistry with Chris, like that, that sort of thing. He really is like a, a family member. And that is something that I probably wouldn't call him and talk to him for four hours every day. I wouldn't be allowed that'd to be do weird. that. Like yeah, that'd be weird. Yeah. But I, I love that, that it's sort of come to define me. Like the, the, the challenge, which is always different to keep an audience and to, you know, sometimes you have to sort of wait to find out until the ratings come out. If you actually did that, because phones don't ring like they used to, there's a, there's a lot of differences. That challenge is sort of like my favorite thing, but I, I don't have any particular sentimentality about when or how it ends. Like, I don't need to go to a Super Bowl. I don't need any, it's just like, to me, it'll be my own life and my family, which is most important. And I don't see w- wanting to move on until I know what I would do instead. <laughs> right. Like I, I need, I need something to move to uh, professionally. You know, for me, fantasy sports have become by far the most interesting thing about sports, like what I enjoy about it. And cause that, that is really at the root of what I like. I'm trying to predict it. I'm trying to, use what I know and get to the answers before you or whatever like that. That is really what I'm drawn to. And so, you know, I think a listener would, would notice that I'm doing more of that, you know, gambling is also sort of a, it's a form of that. I don't yep. bet sports on the rise. ever yep, on the rise for sure. But it's, it's certainly like more everywhere, you know, it's ubiquitous in in sports coverage and even within sort of teams, the way they present themselves. So there's that. And I don't, I sort of, feel like I line up with that in a, in a good way professionally, but um, I, won't, I won't be ready to do the next thing until I know what the next thing is. Yeah, I was going to ask you if there is a thing, but it sounds like in your mind it is fantasy. I was, I was wondering because you used to do the sports card trading show too, and that's taken off, right? I mean, that's yep. like the biggest thing in the world right now too. Um, you know, if, you know there's, there's different ways that your, your run can end, and one is they tell you that it's over. And if, right. if that happened to me, I think cards would be something I might, I might look to. I still have a lot. I was looking at a binder of mine before you called, like just sort of what do I want to do here. It's a very challenging, exciting, but challenging moment because there's so much more money being made yet. If you don't have your cards graded and sort of have the right ones, you can feel like you don't have a way in. So, um, that's what I would probably be putting more of my time in. To, more more of my time into uh, without this job, but uh, who knows? Like I, I, I like to cook. <laughs> I have a lot of different interests, and as you get older, they change. I think you and I have talked about there, there's it's not it's not a challenge, but sort of the the emotional difference in terms of Eichel. Eichel is who represents this to me. Alan could also. They're so much younger than I am. You know, like yeah, yep. When when I got into it, players were older than me, and guys like Hashik and Kelly, you know, they were older than me and sort of 
my attitude in talking about them was different. Like Jack Eichel, we're talking about how committed he is to the Sabres. I don't know. I mean, he's half my age. Right. Um, I feel like I feel like I know I do well to 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 often admit that. Like, just realize I'm not going to be able to relate to what it is, you know, personally that he that he's interested in probably. But you know, so to recognize that has value. But really, it's it's a different deal than like the way Joe DiBiase will talk about these guys as sort of their peers in terms of their age. You can, I think, you can get too old for this. You can become too old for this. But I I, I like I make an effort and I like to sort of be around young people, um, try to figure out what it is that they're drawn to. I think young people, when it comes to sports and information, are much more. Uh, reliant on and, and trusting and here for the data and the way dis- decisions get made uh, in sports. And if they're not made that way, as the Sabres sort of re- have represented, it's a problem. And and it's more the older crowd that really just doesn't get the stats and doesn't get why. Or they get the, it and they just the, don't enjoy it. You know what I mean? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. It, it's intimidating. Computers and just things you didn't yeah. sort of grow up with can be intimidating. I, I know home runs and RBIs. So what's WOBA? Like what, why do I need to know WOBA? Why do I need to know X fit? Like just expected goals. I, I, I sort of already, yeah. yeah, expected goals. I already like learning about that. That's always, that's always been fun for me to sort of know those statistics and that. So that, that helps me too. I think on a sort of a deeper level, listeners who want to know the, they've grown up with it and they really want to know what, what's the, where's the proof in how these guys are doing that I think I can, I can help with and, and, and do. So it's always moving and changing. And I like that about life. And I like that about this job. And I, I just think either they'll tell me to stop coming in, which happens to a lot of us, or I'll have to figure out what else I want to do before I stop doing this. All right. Very, 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 very last thing. Cause I have to do it. Do you have any questions for me? Well, John Wertheim, so yeah. you know, he's he's someone I've known about for a long time. He's he's tennis. He's one of the maybe foremost or most well known tennis journalists. Yeah. And I see him covering that sport all the time. It's a big sport in our house. Yeah. And so that had to be that had to I know how you we, we texted a little bit. That had to be really, uh, really cool. Yeah, it was insane. He DM'd me in January out of the clear blue and said, Hey, can you call me on this number? And I knew his role at SI had elevated into editor status. So I honestly thought he was going to say either, hey, will you talk to this guy about something? Or, hey, don't talk to this guy. You know, I thought it was going to be <laughs> something like that. And, um, he, you know, I called him and he just said, hey, you know, we're looking the pandemic. We're looking for stuff we can do without traveling. And I had just sent out a tweet about the podcast turning 10 and he had seen it. And um, he thought that could be a story. And I didn't think it could be. And we talked for two or three hours in the next couple of days. And uh, then I didn't hear anything for a long time. And I just thought I was right that it, it wasn't anything. But I appreciated <laughs> that he tried, you know. And then around the f- the tournament, the NCAA tournament, he got back to me and said, oh, we just went over what I wrote. And you're going to be hearing from a fact checker and uh, someone from the art department. And then I didn't for a long time again. And then I heard from him. And... um the, the last person I talked to is a fact checker. And I was like, hey, do you have any idea when this might be a thing? And he's like, yeah, like an hour. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So it, it went from me always thinking it probably wasn't going to happen to, 
oh, it's going to be up in an hour. But they, they said the union, the SI union, um, sent out a tweet yesterday, and all the people who signed it, it said their service time at SI. And the only one with more than him was Verducci. And Yeah, yeah. I, I saw that from Emma Bachelary, that they were doing that, yeah. And I just thought to myself, like, not only did I get an SI profile, which is insane, um, but I got it from, like, the guy there. You know what I mean? Which is mm-hmm. even more insane to me. So, I mean, crazy, 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 crazy. I still can't believe it. I'm just grateful. I'm grateful he took the time, and I'm grateful people who read it thought it was great. And I've heard from a million people, which has been great. Um, and I made my mm-hmm. people, I made my people proud. Really, like that's the thing that makes me the happiest. You know, people that I care yeah. to, care to make proud were proud. You know, so congratulations. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. Thank you for being on. I, I took probably too much of your time, but um, thank you so much. We'll talk soon. My pleasure. Anytime. Thanks, Steve. I would like to thank Mike Show, and I'd also like to thank Pete Weber for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can find this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters, over 340 of them, on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at sports underscore casters. You can email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. Please check out my friend Peter Winson. Greetings from Allentown. It's his podcast. It's the best uh, wrestling podcast hosted by one human in the entire world. You can find him at GF Allentown Pod on Twitter. He has a new episode every Thursday-ish. And also, he does Greetings from Allentown Live with a partner, Keithy. And uh, they go all over the place, usually wrestling. But they recently had a three-hour Goodfellas podcast that I couldn't put down. Uh, I had to listen to all three hours. And I'm going to go back and listen to that baby again because you can't beat Goodfellas. And we had the author, Glenn Kenny, I believe, who wrote the Goodfellas book, which I have to get to those guys. I have to still have that a copy of that book. Send that out to Keithy or um, Peter if they want it, if they want to read about Goodfellas since they love it so much. Don't forget during the Colorado Avalanche playout, playoff run to check out my friend Adrian Dater. He's at a Dater. On Twitter, Colorado Hockey Now is his website. He'd, I'm sure, appreciate a subscription or if you maybe want to donate to his travel tip jar because hopefully if they make a deep run, he'll be doing a lot of traveling. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, this podcast is going up um, on essentially Thursday morning. Uh, on Monday morning or Monday night, I will be on the Place to Be Nation flagship show. Uh, I guess for the last time in their reboot project. And um, I'll be on there with Peter and Scott uh, to talk, or Peter, Justin and Scott, excuse me, to talk about the second last Madison Square Garden show that they're going to cover in that project. And um, dude from uh, Calgary uh, will do the last one. He did a lot of them for a while. Kelly, I think his name is. And then he bowed out, which was nice because that opened the door for people like me to get in the rotation 
and I think I'm one of the better people uh, that have been on that, and I'm excited to get another chance to do it with those guys. So that'll be this week as well. So I wanted to mention that, placetovnation.com uh, for that. And also, quickly, uh, don't forget about the 24-inch podcast, my side project that I do with Hollywood Dave Rollins and the sweet Paula Bennett. Uh, we look at a different match from Hulk Hogan's career every show. Uh, we've done 12 of these, I think, 12 or 13 at 13 of these so far. And the last one that we did was about Macho Man Savage, but not the famous Mega Powers Explode WrestleMania 5 match. We're not ready for that. We don't want to hot shot the territory. Uh, we went and looked back at the 1985 match that they had at Madison Square Garden, the Christmas show, which I love. We've done two of those now, Christmas in the Garden. And uh, we have a lot of fun on that. We have some great fans. Um, we have a cool Facebook group on uh, Facebook. If you search 24-inch podcast, uh, it'll come up. It's a public group, and you can jump in and, and join with us. It's a lot of fun. We have some cool interaction there. Uh, Dave does a Instagram 24 underscore inch underscore podcast, and you can find us on Twitter at 24-inch podcast there. So check that out. All right, one last thing for me today, and it's a story I've been wanting to tell everyone uh, for a long time, for a long time, but I'm going to take you back to January because that's where the story starts, and uh, I got to open up my Twitter because one morning I woke up to a DM on Twitter from John Wertheim, and this was January 13th, 2021, and he said, hey, hope all's well. Mind giving me a call tomorrow? On And he gave a number and I responded, sure thing. Sounds like I'm in trouble. And he said the opposite. So my initial thought was John Wertheim is a editor at Sports Illustrated now, you know, an executive editor. And he has been for a while. And I thought that he was probably contacting me as executive editor and that he either wanted me to have someone on. Or not have someone on. You know, that was my thought. Oh, maybe he doesn't want me to reach out to this person anymore. You know, or maybe he wants me to, you know, cover something for him. That's what I thought. And I called him up and he told me that he had seen my tweet. I think I said it was the 13th. January 11th was the 10-year anniversary of the sportscasters. And... I had put out a tweet just kind of, <laughs> I guess, congratulating myself <laughs> for 10 years. But I just wanted to put it out there to everyone that I was really proud that I had done this thing for 10 years. And, um, you know, through some tough times, uh, started with Don at someone else's house uh, on a whim. You know, I reached out to a guy named Jeff Passan. And, uh, well, not even really him. I just reached out in general to the publisher of this book called Death of the BCS and said, would you be on a podcast that didn't exist? And Jeff Passon responded and said, sure. And I had to create a podcast for him to be on. And it, it lasted 10 years somehow. And John said he had seen that and that there had been some pressure at SI to come up with stories that you didn't need to travel for, I guess, because of that pandemic. And this was like in the midst of that third wave after the holidays, and um, he said he thought there could be something there. And I said, well, 
wow, but, you know, probably there isn't. So the next day we talked for about an hour. And I talked for probably 58 of those minutes. Uh, And then the day after that, we talked for probably another hour. And I probably talked for 59 of those minutes. It was almost like I was interviewing myself. Uh, He would get a question in and I would go on and on. And I was so self-conscious of it. And that second meeting kind of happened because I wrote him and said, I want to tell you so much more that I forgot. Can we talk again? And he's like, sure. And we did. And then like a week or so later, I'd heard from a couple people that they had heard from him about it. Um, Jeff Perlman definitely reached out to me and said that, oh, you'll be a good subject for him. And I think Deitch had mentioned something to me. So I don't know if he was getting the word around or asking around. He didn't quote anyone else in the article but me. Uh, But anyway, that was way back in January. And then I didn't hear anything in February at all. And then most of March, I hadn't heard anything. And then towards the end of the NCAA tournament, just about into April, I heard from John, and he said he had sit, sat down with the editor, and they were looking at it and trying to decide would it be for the magazine or the website, and that they were leaning towards the website, but they're considering it for the magazine, and I was blown away because I thought it had died. I thought, look, at he tried, and just there's no story there. You know, I'm just not a story for Sports Illustrated, I'm just not. I'm just a jabroni who does a podcast. That's all, you know. Um, And so I was kind of blown away and excited that it was kind of back. And then I didn't hear anything again for a long time. And I kind of got a little upset about it. And I kind of figured this just is not going to happen, you know. And there's a few people I had told. I tried not to tell many. I didn't really, I, I know I hinted around at it on here. I don't know if I, I definitely didn't really come out and say it, but I remember starting to feel real embarrassed. Like I'm going to have to go back to all these people that I said, this is what's going to happen and tell them it's not. And they're going to think I'm mental that they're going to think it was never going to happen. I'm making all this up or something. And I, I kind of got a little depressed about it. Uh, and then suddenly again, like in the second week of May, Uh, I heard from John again, and he said that I might be hearing from a fact checker. Uh, And actually, the next person I heard from was someone from the art department looking for pictures. And um, I sent them the pictures that they wanted. And then a couple days after that, I heard from the fact checker um, who asked me about 90 questions, but not how many times have you seen Pearl Jam? (laughs) Because in the article, the, the the two biggest things I've heard from people about the article is they really like the comment about, me having a Buffalo accent and wow, they really undersold your Pearl Jam fandom. Uh, Cause I think in the article, John says that I'd been to uh, over a dozen. Uh, and of course I've been to 83. So I think that's like about seven dozen, uh, but I guess that is over a dozen. Uh, but of all the things he asked me, that didn't come up <laughs> the fact checker. So I, he didn't get to fact check that, I guess. Uh, but towards the end of the conversation, I'm talking to him and I'm like, do you know when this might go up? And he's like, Oh, in an hour. And I was like, holy shit. Wow. This is really going to happen. And, um, you know, I got home that day and I got a message and it was a link to it. And I went to SI.com and there I was, Paula and I, you know, and it was a reality. And uh, I showed Tammy first. And then I kind of went into my bedroom alone and read it. And there was tears coming down my eyes. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I was crying reading it, 
I almost feel like I'm going to cry right now. Um, you know, look at, I grew up in an era where I would get off the school bus every Thursday knowing that Sports Illustrated was in the mailbox. And I would run in the mailbox and I would get it. And while I was walking in the house, I would turn this magazine to the back page and read Rick, Rick Riley's back page article as I was walking into the house. And I would finish it like in our boot room. And I read that magazine every week. I remember the first magazine, Sports Illustrated magazine I ever bought. I remember the day I was with my now former stepfather at Tops on French and Union, which isn't even a Tops anymore. It hasn't been for years. And the magazines were behind the cash registers. And he said I could look at the magazines while he shopped because then he would see me as he went through the, reg- the, the line. And they had the 35th anniversary magazine and it had Muhammad Ali on the cover and it was this really thick cool magazine it was basically like a sports almanac of everything that had been in the magazine for the first 35 years and he agreed to buy it for me and I was a sports illustrated reader from that point on you know and never in my wildest dreams did I think that they would write a profile about me never never still don't believe it And as soon as I sent that tweet out on Twitter, just with a link to it, and also put one on Facebook, I was on my phone for the next two and a half days, just responding to everyone who reached out to me. Facebook messages, Twitter messages, Twitter DMs, text messages, phone calls. It was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. The whole thing is still sort of overwhelming. And I'm not trying to be like, oh, shucks kind of guy or something. Like, I'm being honest here. Like, I was blown away. Um, And, you know, I saw a tweet. I think I mentioned this earlier. But John Wertheim is the guy. Not only did I get an SI profile, I got an SI profile from the number one. If someone said to me, pick anyone at SI right now to write about you. That's the first pick. And he wrote a beautiful column he really did he wrote a really nice version of my story i almost feel like i didn't know who i was reading about a lot of the time like this is me he's talking about you know because i can be really self-aware and sometimes i focus so much on my flaws i do i focus so and i pick at myself and i beat myself up for the mistakes i've made for the relationships that are no more, and, and maybe it's my fault. I beat myself up about that. Everything I've ever done wrong, I feel like I punish myself for. You know, and here was a guy who was doing the opposite and was just kind of saying everything. I don't know, everything that he thought about me, and it was maybe not what I think of myself. So it was incredible, and... um uh, Kyle Branch from the NFL Network said to me, it's a legacy piece, an estate piece. I think, yeah, he said it's an estate piece. And I hadn't thought of that. And I'm like, it is. You know, this is part of my estate now. My daughter will show this to her kids, and their kids will show it to them, their kids, and on and on about their grandfather, great grandfather, whatever. Like, they'll say, like, hey, he was this guy who had this show. And he put his head down for 10 years and he did the best he could. And one day he looked up and realized someone had noticed. 
And that someone was John Wertheim. That's Sports Illustrated. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I want to thank John Wertheim from the bottom of my heart. And I'll thank him on this show the next time he's on. You know, for believing in the story. You know? For seeing me that way. Seeing that in me. And writing it so beautifully. I want to thank John. You know, I want to thank... Anyone I reached out to with my neuroses during the process, my brothers, uh, Jennifer Smith from the Jenny position, you know, all the people I confided on and said, oh, my God, this is maybe coming out or this isn't coming out or, you know, my brother Anthony was like, you're the most negative person. It's going to come out. Relax, you know. So thanks to everyone who put up with me, anyone who knew about it. Tammy obviously knew about it. Anyone. Uh, And thank you so much to everyone who took the time to read it or share it or reach out to me. You know, I hate to be that guy, but I noticed a few people who didn't. You know, and it's a good, it's a good, I'm glad I got to notice, you know. I got to confirm for myself that a few people are not who I thought they were, which is good. You know, but everyone who mattered to me, just, man, and it just felt so good to make my people happy. To make them proud, you know. To see the look on my wife's face, Tammy's um, was so is so great. Her parents, you know, know that they were proud. Sometimes I wonder what they think of me, you know. Sometimes I wonder like when they're in their room at night with the lights out and no one around, like what they say about the person their daughter married, you know. And sometimes I think it's not good, you know. There's some people in my wife's mom's family who I feel like that they judge me and they look down at me you know and I'd love to see what their reaction was you know I don't know but uh man what a thrill just the thrill of a lifetime um and it wouldn't have happened without the people who listen to this show who keep me motivated to do it who've been with me people like Ford Kendrick who I took out to dinner on my honeymoon way back in 2014 thinking about you uh Ford you know, someone who, who became a listener uh, because he was mocking me for, for screwing up uh, Dan Levy's name. <laughs> and I, I guess I kind of owned it. And he liked that about me, maybe, and has been a listener ever since. Newer listeners like Ian Ross. Uh, um, oh, geez, who else? Uh, Fred. Uh, anyone who's emailed me over the years, anyone who's DM me. Um, so many good people really have have listened to the show over the years, and I appreciate, you know, all of them. Uh, it's been so cool. It's been so cool all these years to do this, and it's almost like a new lease on life, too. It's like, you know, what can happen now? Um, you know, where, where can this go now? You know, will, will this legitimize me in a way? Will it be easier to book guests? I've been really trying to get Jim Nance uh, <laughs> And I got a letter from Melissa and Nance Enterprises politely declining. Uh, But I said, you know, I hope you know that I didn't get this far uh, by uh, by accepting no for an answer. I said, so I'll be in touch. Uh, So I'm going to keep trying to chip away at that. (laughs) But um, if you haven't read it, you can go to si.com slash media. And it's still the first story on that page of the website. And if it drops down a bit, still a place to find it. Or you can search... Uh, John Wertheim's name on SI.com, or you can just search my name, 
Steve Bennett Sports Illustrated on Google, and it comes right up. <laughs> It'll be there forever. Uh, I don't think it's going to appear in any form in the magazine. The lady who called me from Art had said that she suggested it be in Scorecard to the editor, but I don't know. I, I think they'll probably probably had enough of me. They don't publish that magazine that much. It's interesting. I got a little plug from Mike Shope today, and he he said in Sports Illustrated, you know, and I really feel like the website is the magazine now. You know, it's not out every Thursday. It's not even out any month anymore. I have no idea when it comes. I don't know how many they do. I still subscribe, but, you know, I think the uh, website is the magazine now, if that makes any sense. So, but wow, what a, what a just amazing experience. And again, I got to thank John Wertheim again. Um, and, you know, I just think the bottom line is, you know, I, I just put my head down. And I did this show as best as I could, you know, for 10 years now. And I looked up one day and, and Sports Illustrated noticed and they wrote a beautiful, a beautiful piece about it and about me. And I'm forever grateful to them for that. Um, so look at it's the start of the second decade of the sportscasters this year. And I'm going to keep working hard on that. Keep working with Dave and Paul on the 24-inch podcast. Uh, and just thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Everyone, really, thank you so much for the emails and the thoughts and the comments. I appreciate them so much. <laughs>